Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Good morning. How are you all doing? Okay, third time here. It is good to see you all. It's exciting to be up here. Uh, It's not often that I'm up here, so you just keep praying for me. Um, I remember years back when I was on staff, I can't remember if I was a pastor because I I wasn't um, brought on as a pastor at first, but or if it was when I was just transitioning into being a pastor. I remember our senior pastor at the time asked me, hey, if you were ever going to preach, what would you preach on? And I thought, hmm, what would I preach on? And what came to mind immediately was the book of Acts. I said, probably somewhere in the book of Acts. And I think the reason I said that is because 19 years ago, when I became a Christian at 35 years of age, I remember being invited to a Bible study. It's a really light Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship, BSF. Any of you know about BSF, it is not a light Bible study. It's a very intense Bible study. And so I agreed to go, and that year we were studying the book of Acts. And um, it was just, yeah, I just kind of looked back on that time, and I can remember, like, for someone who wasn't raised in a Christ-following community, and um, wasn't raised in the church. At 35, I remember asking my husband, who, by the way, I I didn't know he was a Christian when I married him, but he was. I didn't realize that. Um, I don't know what that says about him or me, but we'll just leave it at that. Um, We came around. We came around. I'm heckling my husband. Um, But I remember at one point asking him, okay, help me with the Holy Spirit. Is this a person? Is, is this a thing? Is it a concept? Is it an idea? No, what is the Holy Spirit? And I remember him being so awesome, teaching me about the Holy Spirit, which we know. Uh, we, we heard about last weekend at Pentecost when, when uh, the, the Holy Spirit was given. And just so I think that that's just, it's really kind of cool that, okay, so I'm up here getting to talk about um, the book of Acts, which is really exciting. So we've been in this sermon series called, So Now What? And that is a question that follows after the death and resurrection of Jesus as the apostles and we consider, okay, so now what? Jesus is gone. What do we do? And so we've been looking at the early church and trying to consider this. And so the last few weeks, we entered into the book of Acts. We looked at the very birth of the church, which is so fun to think about. And then as Jesus had promised, he would send an advocate Michael talked about that last week. We went out of order because he went to preach Pentecost. He went to preach the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost weekend. And then the week before that, which is really the week I'm following after, is when Andrew talked about in chapter 3 where Peter and John were headed mid-afternoon for prayer up to the temple, and they come across this man who has been lame since birth, and he's begging, he's asking for money. And John and Peter reply, we have something better. We can't give you money, but we have something better. And they command him to be healed and to stand up, and he walks. And so this man who was lame from birth, who couldn't walk, is healed. And then that's where I get to pick up today. So this healing led to preaching, 
which today we will see leads to opposition. So Michael was so excited going, this is going to be a great scripture for you to focus on and to be able to preach. And I thought, I get opposition? Oh, man, <laughs> who wants that as a topic? But so it's, yeah, it's been good, though. So the opposition that we're going to read about today is the same opposition that Jesus experienced during his ministry here on earth and leading up to his death. So he knows what we are experiencing. In John 15, 20, Jesus says, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Meaning followers of Christ. So we read um, in many different Bible passages where it uses this word persecution. Today, I will primarily use the word opposition. So as a believer, just like John and Peter, you too can be assured that you will receive opposition in the name of Christ. And we don't say that, we don't, I don't say that to bring anxiousness or fear or intimidation. No, we say this because it prepares us. When we know what to expect, we can be prepared to how we should respond to that opposition. Now, we may not be tossed in jail like we're going to hear about the apostles today, but for us, it comes in many different forms. It just looks a little different. Because of your faith, have you ever been attacked verbal, verbally or have you been accused of being narrow-minded or intolerant? Have you ever been ridiculed, rejected, passed over, misunderstood, bullied, ostracized, or cold-shouldered because of your faith? Have you been addressed in a condescending manner, maybe at your job or passed up for a promotion because of your faith? This opposition can come from people who are close to you, maybe a friend or a family member. It can come from a teacher, a professor, a manager, and sometimes a complete stranger. And it does not, not discriminate against age. So from the oldest to the youngest in the room. He doesn't discriminate. We're all going to have opposition when we stand in the faith. So today, we will see how reliance on the Holy Spirit helps us when we experience opposition. So I've titled the message today, In the Face of Opposition, and the question is going to be answered, how are we to respond when opposition comes? And that's what our story looks at. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right in. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we just love your presence. Would you come and be real today? Would you open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to hear and what you want us to receive? And we extinguish all plans of the enemy right now. In the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit, let your presence shine here in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to be reading in the book of Acts, chapter 4, right from the beginning. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we've got some up here on the stage. You can pull it up on your device as well or in your Bibles if you have it, and we'll have it on the screens. So let's read Acts 4, verse 1. 
The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So the first thing I want to look at are the characters that are mentioned in the very first verse. And I want to do this because it's going to give us context to some of the other things that are spoken in these verses. So we have the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees who make up this great show of force. Who are they? So we have the priests. The priests in the New Testament refer primarily to the ceremonial officials of Jesus' day. That group of men who offered temple sacrifices and carried out other sacred rites associated with the Jewish temple and the Jewish people. Then we have the captain of the temple guard, who literally referred to the leader of an army or the chief legal official of a city, was also a priest and actually second only to the high priest, but who was responsible for order in the temple. And then we have the Sadducees. The Sadducees is one of the four major sects of Judaism, and the Sadducees are very interesting, especially in this story. They were men of position, often wealthy landowners and aristocrats. The irony here is that while they were the dominant religious force in Israel, they were worldly-minded with little genuine interest in religion. They generally were against any opposition to Rome, right? So for fear that it would jeopardize their political position and their wealth. So they were very status-driven, worldly-driven. So why were these people greatly disturbed? Well, one of the key considerations specifically for the Sadducees is their unbelief in resurrection. They did not believe in resurrection. Resurrection declares that the living God is going to put everything right once and for all and is going to restore all things. Not only did the Sadducees not believe in resurrection of the dead, but they rejected Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. And that is whom Peter is proclaiming. So now we get to see why. Why are they so angry? So it's late, and because Jewish law prohibited evening trials, they throw them in jail. I think they also put them in jail because they went, what do we do with them? What are we going to charge them for? So this is the first time that the church, the early church, experiences opposition or persecution since its birth. This is opposition coming from outside the church, so from those who do not believe in Jesus as Messiah. However... In the midst of opposition, what did it say? Many heard and believed. Jesus added to their numbers in the midst of the opposition. 
They said that it totaled about 5,000 men. So that doesn't even include the women and children. So it's probably more like double. So a large number, if we like to say 10,000 people, but in comparison to the other population, it was probably a, little, a lot smaller, but there's momentum. Can you imagine if we moved to 5,000 people today? Like we'd be like, whoa, 5,000 new believers here at VCDC, right? That's awesome. But there's momentum that is happening and it's creating fear and intimidation. So Peter's gospel proclamation produces two effects. First, conversion of some, but at the same time, confrontation from others. Some accepted, some rejected. The gospel ultimately either comforts the afflicted or afflicts the comfortable. So the next day, they're brought before all these ranking Jewish religious leaders, and they're asked, by what name or, or by what power or what name did you do this? Now we know this is a loaded question. We've seen this before in scripture. We know that this was a question that Jesus was always asked because they're trying to trick him and they're trying to, to uh, uh, trip them up. But the tables are turned. And so let's take a look at how the disciples respond in verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, How was he healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, if you read that closely, and you think about all the Jewish leaders and groups that have now are opposing, the opposition totals about 11 different Jewish groups and individuals. Can you imagine putting yourself in Peter and John's shoes? Can you imagine the intimidation, the fear that they would have been experiencing in themselves, in their flesh? <clears throat> we have these wealthy, elite aristocrats questioning two men who were uneducated and unlearned. These men had a family vocation that had been passed down to them. They were fishermen. Yet Peter was bold and articulate, calling them out that though they did not actually crucify Jesus, they did hand him over to be crucified. And then Peter boldly states, it is by the name that it is by the name of Jesus that the lame man was healed. He also quotes an Old Testament scripture in the Psalms, which by the way, Neither of these two men would have been schooled and would have known scripture, but the Jewish leaders knew it and they recognized it. And so in this, he confronts these Jewish leaders, basically saying, it was you Jewish leaders who had rejected Jesus. By the way, who is the cornerstone or the foundation of the gospel message? So how is it that Peter, who was a three-time denier of Christ, has become a proclaimer 
of Christ. How does that happen? And he's not just a proclaimer. He's a bold proclaimer. Look at the things that he is saying. And the answer, it's stated very clearly in the scriptures. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit provide boldness and courage and clarity, but he also understands what needs to be spoken and what doesn't need to be spoken. And that's why our, it's important to have connection with the Holy Spirit. And then if he hasn't already been bold enough, he states, hey, by the way, there's only one way to salvation, that's Jesus. In your face, right? So here in the Western culture, we don't experience that type of persecution or opposition. Now, to be honoring of our brothers and sisters around the world who do, there are countries where you speak the name of Jesus, you pray to Jesus, you baptize, whatever, you're going to experience severe persecution. And that can come in the form of your property being destroyed or taken. It can be um, just beatings and imprisonment and execution. This is real. But the majority of us here in the room and even those who are online, we do not experience that type of persecution today as followers of Christ. But there is one thing I want to talk about. And I think, honestly, this is for you young people in the room, is very important to hear. Because I think the opposition that you are growing up and experiencing today are not what we have primarily dealt with. And so I think this is really valuable. It's great for all of us, right? But I want to just kind of perk those ears up. So one strong form of opposition we do experience today as followers of Christ who are called to preach the gospel is the belief and acceptance that all religions are truth. That there are many roads to salvation or many roads to God or many roads to this afterlife. And in a culture that embraces this belief, our response is often to be silent, to not share our faith out of respect for others' beliefs. And this silence can be interpreted as agreement with that belief. In John 14, 6, Jesus is responding to Thomas, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Many in our culture today view this statement as one fueled with arrogance because we don't like what that says. The culture often opposes Christianity because it's viewed as intolerable and exclusive because it says there is only one way. So we're all faced with this question, is Christ really the only way? Can there be many ways? Well, because there are people who do believe there are multiple ways to God, I want us to consider something that's called the principle of non-contradiction. The principle of non-contradiction says, contradictory propositions cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. So if we were all, I'll give you an example, if we were all to walk outside and I said to you all in the same breath, it's raining, it's not raining. That's a contradiction. It cannot be raining and not raining at the same time in the same place. It's just not possible. 
We have to also consider the principle of non-contradiction when considering the statement that there are many paths or religions that lead to salvation. We will often rationalize these things that contradict just to make people feel included, but we can't do that. The fact is that different religions are not complementary, but contradictory. Belief in truth, by default, cancels a contradictory truth. It cannot exist. They cannot coexist. So I want to give you some examples here. The God of Christianity teaches the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? We, we talk about this all the time. Now, this would mean that Christianity contradicts Judaism because Judaism rejects the deity of Christ. Christianity also contradicts the religion of Islam, which speaks of their God as Allah, the sovereign one, and Christ as a prophet. So again, that denies the deity of Christ. Eastern religions like Buddhism or Hinduism, when considering this notion of salvation, are not complementary with Christianity at all. They speak more about the liberation of the soul from the body and the liberation of self from the material world. So in Christianity, the goal is redemption. Because our sins have separated us from a holy God, Jesus is the substitute that reconciles us to God. The concept, this concept doesn't exist at all in Eastern religions, but we do know as Christians, that's a core value. That's a must with Christianity. So the conclusion is that all of them can't be true. They can't all be true. If we believe one, we cannot accept another one that contradicts this true. So the question now is, which one's true? Is Jesus Christ true? Well, the Bible says, I heard someone say yes, thank you. The Bible says, if we repent of our sins, God gives salvation to you no matter what you've done and who you are. It is available to everyone. It is uh, an invitation to everyone. Now, the Jewish leaders, they believed in a Messiah, but they opposed the preaching and healing like in today's story because they believed that the Messiah was coming to save just the Jewish, Jewish people, nobody else. This contradicts Christianity as well, doesn't it? We are commissioned as followers of Christ to go and make disciples of who? All nations. Not just the ones we like, not just the ones that look like us, but all people, all nations. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. He says, The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. I'm going to repeat that because it took me time to process that. The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Yeah, amen to that, right? The gospel the gospel invitation, invitation includes everyone. It's open to everyone, but it's through one exclusive person, and we know that's Jesus. So that is why VCDC is anchored in the Word of God. We search the, search the Scriptures to understand. We try to embrace them and then live by this truth. They're there to teach us how to live our lives and to know Jesus. 
This is how we are spiritually formed or transformed, you'll hear it. From the inside out, as we get to know Jesus and the truth of God, he reveals himself to us. And in that, when we see how beautiful he is, we desire to want more of him and to be like him. And then that's when people start to see Jesus in us. In verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The passage goes on to say that because the healing could not be denied, the Jewish leaders had witnessed it as well. They knew there was a miraculous healing, but they knew we've got to stop this from spreading because of that momentum that was coming. So they commanded them not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And then again, we see the boldness of Peter. He, he goes on to say, um, well, both John and Peter say, we've got to listen to God. We don't listen to man. And we're going to continue speaking the gospel of Jesus. So the leaders threaten him some more, but they don't have anything to stand on. And they realize that all of these people are now praising Jesus. They're, they're praising God for the miracle that had just happened. It couldn't be denied. I love that that testimony, nothing can stand against a testimony, a personal testimony. So what do they do? They're like, uh, we'll just let them go. We don't want to have a riot. We don't want an uprising. So verse 13 notes that because of the courage that was displayed in these ordinary men, it was obvious they had been with Jesus and not just been with Jesus. They were with Jesus. When the apostles spoke, they were so much like Jesus that his presence in them could not be denied. How did Peter the denier go from that to becoming this proclaimer of Christ in such a bold way? Well, the denier, the denier in all of us, is filled with the flesh. But the proclaimer is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John's companionship with Jesus had transformed them. They didn't just know about Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had dined with Jesus. They had lived with Jesus. They heard his prayers. They sat under his teachings. They knew Jesus personally, very intimately, because they had followed him so closely. So closely, they were covered by and with him. Just like Peter and John, we're able to respond to opposition as well when we walk with Christ and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have two stories, personal stories, I want to share with you. About 19 years ago, when I was early in my walk with Jesus and had just become a believer, I recall having dinner with a friend from a local mom's group. We were in California at the time, and I would say this friend was a friend, a kind of a distant friend. We didn't know each other really well, but I always noticed she, was, she knew I went to church, and um, she was kind of intrigued with that, I'll say. But we're sitting at dinner, and of course, the conversation, she brings it around to faith. And so she said to me, you know, Vicki, I believe in the, the Christmas story and the baby Jesus, but I also really like the reincarnation of the Buddhists and then some of the practices of the, the Hindus. And she probably went on to say other things, but I was unlearned and unschooled. I didn't really 
I hadn't walked with the Lord that long, so I really didn't have a, a response for her. And that has never left me. I always think back on that. Well, second story, if you fast forward to about a month ago, a gentleman walks through the door that I'm interacting with, and for other reasons, it was actually insurance, and this man is actually a stranger. I don't really know him, but we're talking insurance, and the next thing I know, boom, we come around to him saying, you know, I think religion boils down, they all boil down to the same thing, and that they all lead to the same place. And it was like a flashback of, oh, I get a do-over. So this is fun. So without much hesitation, I just said, you know, I disagree with you. And I said, I don't believe they all lead to the same place because they all represent different truths. And they can't, you can't have that when they contradict. They're not all the same. So they can't all be true. So and I, I don't think there's a, a final destination that is the same. So it was a great conversation, just very friendly and just, you know, just continued on. But I think the confidence and the boldness and the clarity that I was given in the the latter situation is because I've walked with Jesus for the last 20 years. We have mileage. We've been together. I've gotten to know him and, and he's done, he's got a lot of work still to do, but he's done a lot of work in me. So there is this Jewish blessing spoken over an apprentice, um, the apprentice of a rabbi, and it says, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. The idea that as the student follows the rabbi so closely, learning literally, the goal of the apprentice was to become the rabbi, not just know about the rabbi, but so closely that as they follow, The dust of the rabbi's sandals kicks up and covers the apprentice. It's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. In the same way, our rabbi is Jesus. We are followers of Christ, and he is our teacher. And we want to follow and study him so closely with this goal of letting him transform things in us so we look more like him. I'm going to invite up the worship team as we start to kind of wrap things up here. You know, practically, how are we to be spirit-filled people and continue being filled? How are we to be covered by the dust of our rabbi? These are some very simple things, and you know them, but we have to continually hear them and be reminded. The first one is time in God's word. This is primarily how God speaks to us, how we get to know him and his character and how he teaches us to live our lives. If we do not know truth, we surely cannot identify lies. So we need the truth, the word of God. The second one is time with God's people. Christian community is so very important. If I had not had Christian community in small groups from like, The first year we were in the faith and in a church, Derek and I, we were in a a small group. And we've just continued that because we realized the importance. Iron sharpens iron. We learn from each other and we learn so much faster and so much deeper when we're in that community. And yes, that's a plug for small groups. So, and then the last one is time with God. 
that meditation, that prayer, that fellowship of just being in God's presence. We need it all the time, not just once a day, but all throughout the day. Try to make time for God just to bring his presence before you, to put your thoughts on him, him and to ask for the help that you need in every moment. A growing relationship is, with Jesus is what enables us to display the boldness and the courage that we need in the face of opposition. So we're going to get ready to take corporate communion. So if you don't have the elements, you can do that right now. We have them in the front and in the back. I'll talk a little bit here just to give you some time to go get them. But hey, if you need help in any of those three areas, maybe you're feeling dry or you don't know what to do next, or maybe you're just starting out your walk with Jesus, please, please talk to your small group leader. And if you're not in a small group, I'll see you at the card wall after service. I would love to help you get plugged into some. That community is so very important. Then after communion, we are going to go into a time of worship. We'll go back into three songs. If you get a word or a picture during that time that you think the Lord wants to, to share with the congregation, um, we've got, I don't know who all over here, we've got Bill, and I don't know, I don't think Andrew's over there, and Michael. You can pass that word by them. But before you do, I want to challenge us. Ask the question, what is God's invitation to the congregation in this word? What is he inviting them up into? All right, so let's, uh, would you stand with me as we begin to take communion? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.